Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Court Case Podcast with me, your host, James Court. And me, your co-host, Sweet Tea. You wouldn't know it from the news, but the Ukraine war is still ongoing. And today we're going to be talking to Thomas Duncan Bell, a man that crossed the Polish border and has helped bring people out. It's a really interesting conversation and it's all happening right after this. Okay, so hey Tom, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad, thank you. How about yourself? Oh good, we're doing great. We're really excited to get into this conversation. So you live in Poland, uh, Tom. We're visiting Poland at Christmas. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Um, to be honest, it's uh, it's got a long way to go uh, from a political, <laughs> political perspective. And, mm. uh, but uh, I would say that it's definitely a place that i don't want to move back from i live at the bottom of a mountain in a very small village so when you come out of a london environment after sort of 18 years of burning the candle at both ends Mm. that you see you know green fields and trees every day and you're in a place of solace you Mm. certainly start to question why you wasted so much time interesting yeah that's that's good have you seen any of like the main sites that there are to see in poland it's strange actually i think you like when i was in london i never even went to see most of the sites in london right <laughs> yeah mm. and so you kind of do organically over time yeah but it's kind of the same in poland i moved here and i didn't seek out specific sites that i wanted to go and see yeah i just kind of uh started living and um, up in the mountains and this kind of thing so to be honest no i don't know if uh <laughs> that makes me a philistine or not to be honest no well at least you're consistent if you <laughs> don't do it wherever you live yeah exactly yeah I'm, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people where if there are hordes of people clamoring to get to a place mm. i'm not really bothered yeah you know i'm more interested in going to the places that no one else has been the unique the places, places that, yeah you know less people frequent to be honest yeah i can understand that mm. um so what made you decide to volunteer as a first responder and get medical supplies over the polish border to ukraine um initially what happened was i had a friend so i i ran quite a success successful dog product company randomly Mm. um and so when you're selling dog products and you're uh you know 
a guy who likes to get after it, you kind of get into like dog training and random things like that. And so along the way of running that business, I learned how to train police and military dogs. Okay. Put on attack suits and all this kind of stuff. And that eventually led me to Ukraine, where I was training police and military dogs and border defense dogs in Ukraine for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of friends across Ukraine. And at the start of the conflict back in February, on February the 26th, a close friend of mine um, was shot to death. And with his father and his dogs, and Jeez. there was a video that went around online where it was kind of like a spliced video where part of it was him recording what was happening to them as they were being fired upon. Jesus. And then the second part of the video was the aftermath of someone else coming and recording their bodies in a ditch, the dog's dead, this kind of thing. And so it was kind of, it was a really visceral way to sort of see your friend killed and then kind of have to live through the trauma of that experience in a way visually. Yeah. Um, And I think in the UK, we're very sheltered from war and this type of thing. Mm. You think of when we're younger, like kind of Lebanon, Bosnia, these kind of things, you can just change the channel. You're on an island. Nothing's Mm. going to come to you. No problems will occur. So it's easy to shut your windows and doors Mm. and not pay attention. And uh, here where I live now is about six hours from the border of Ukraine. Okay. So I'm in and out of the UK, but at the same time, this is kind of my life. And I sort of sat here for a week or so afterwards. I wasn't really able to work. And uh, I was just kind of staring out the window. I tried to watch Netflix or something. I was like anything to kind of just disrupt the thought process. But all you're, all you're seeing in your mind is this video again and again and this like thinking about what your friend's gone through. And Yeah. Mm. So it got to the point where my wife just said, you know, you're no good to us here. You know, your mind's elsewhere. You're a guy who wants to get after it. You're obviously going to go. You want to go and do something. So go and do it. You know, my grandfather told me when I was a kid, the only uh, the only thing the only thing to stop the triumph triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And, and so my mindset was really okay. What what skills do I have and what can I bring to the plate even in a small way that's going to aid someone in some way yeah you know and I've done Spartan racing and endurance racing and I've done all these crazy things all over the world where I've put myself in harm's way just to kind of galvanize who I am as an individual and how robust I am in the context of being mentally resilient you know I trained as a rescue diver I've saved people at sea and all this kind of stuff and I thought okay well you know, at the very least, I can give medical aid. I can take, you know, medical supplies and things like that to the border and see what they need. And kind of when you get there, immediately your medical supplies are gone, right? It's like you've just given them out and, mm. and that's it. Mm. So I was kind of evacuating. I just got straight into evacuating refugees, you know, yeah. women, kids, like elderly. It was manic. It was like 21 hours a day. Try and grab a few hours of sleep in the back of a Jeep and then get up and go again. But wow. even as you try and sleep, 
you might have a moment where you're disturbed and you kind of look out the window and you see hordes of people again trying to get out of this country and you just you just can't stop so that was kind of the catalyst was my friend's death yeah mm. and i didn't have any preconceived notion of what i should be going to do i just knew that as an able bodied guy who was more mentally resilient than the average person i had to go and get stuck in and see where i could help really yeah that's you, amazing you said something just a minute ago about when your friend died that he was filming some of it and i've noticed like when nine eleven happened mobile phones were just emerging and wi-fi and if you looked in the darkest places of the internet you might be able to find like an al-qaeda beheading video or something but this seems like the first war yeah. where people in the thick of it people that are dying are recording Corner, and tweeting yeah. it on their phones and stuff what what effect do you think that's having? I think it's, you know, it's certainly more visceral for people. Mm. So you really, if you, if you can't fully understand the context of what people are going through, the level of trauma, yeah, then you can't fully realize what, you know, we're being challenged with as a global society in a way. Mm. So as much as I wouldn't want to watch that video of my friend again, I watched it several times and it will never leave my mind. I think, think it's one of those things where you know i was on a call the other day with someone and, and she was kind of almost in tears when i was talking to her about this circumstance and she said do you think this is the only way to watch something like that this is the only way to really get it into my head yeah yeah you know what it is that these people are going through and i think to be honest it probably is mm. but you're still sheltered in the uk right yeah you, I, i've i've seen um, the aftermath of what's really going on over there, you know, 40 or 50 women lined up in a row and raped and then had a tank run over them. You know, it's extreme, Jesus. you know, kids toys in their houses where the Russians are retreating, being booby trapped with bombs and explosives so that when the children re-frequent their houses, if it's even possible to do so, they pick up their favorite bear and they die. Jesus. It, it's, disgusting it's 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 an atrocity and i i think i grew up in such a sheltered environment mm. and as human beings like it's you know i work in the mental health space so my job is to train companies how to look after the, the mental health of their staff yeah and our brains are programmed to force us into a state of comfort right to get a a nice house to be warm to be cozy to eat lots of food to sleep as often as we can right mm -hmm. we're not programmed to live in a cave and knock an animal on the head and eat around a fire anymore and this kind of stuff right so most people aren't ready for this type of atrocity yeah and and at this extreme level it's very difficult to comprehend Mm. no that's absolutely right i mm. think you've hit the nail on the head there and one thing else i wanted to ask is obviously you're a british person you're living in poland if you were in the uk at the time would you still have made the same decision or was living in poland a big catalyst of why you went over you know i i think i still would have done what i had to do mm -hmm. ultimately my friend still would have died and it still would have hurt and i still would have had to go and do something from my perspective, the UK is a couple of hours away from Poland. There's no excuse for anybody who's got some skills not to go over and at least help on the border and yeah. Yeah. give out soup or whatever they can do or clothes. You know, 
as far as I'm concerned. It just comes down to comfort. Yeah. You know, I had a house fire like several months after I came back from Ukraine and my house burnt down. Yeah. And I had friends from the UK ask if I needed help, even just to sift rubble or move stuff into skips or whatever. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah, that'd be really appreciated. And every time I said that, they ghosted me. <gasps> right. So, so, and this is friends of mine, right? So, hell? if you can imagine a whole society who doesn't know the people of Ukraine, yeah. like what is the impetus for them to get up, get their finger out, and go and actually make a change? Yeah. There that's... isn't a lot. But I know people that I was working with going in and out and doing extractions in Ukraine who were coming from the UK, who were coming from Ireland, who were coming from America, Canada, France, Germany, all over the place mm. to come and get stuck in. And I think it's just a mindset ultimately. Mm. Yeah. And it's really fantastic and it's admirable. Yeah, 100%. Um, to be quite honest with you. And could you describe to us what it was like when you first crossed the border and got into Ukraine? What what, what was it like for you? Mm. I think, I think, you know, it was, it was scary. Like, you know, you're not, I'm not a military guy, right? I'm just a hard bastard. So <laughs> I'm not like, you know, I like a bit of a ruck and everything like that, but this is not, this is not the kind of thing you ever expect that you're going to have to no. be able to do. Yeah. And as soon as you cross over the border, you're met with, sandbags military armament all over the place like the, the the result of bombardment from planes overhead fires going off you know so there's a lot of stuff that's kind of unnerving to the average bloke who's just you know going to try and help yeah you know and from my perspective you know my wife said to me you've got a four-year-old so I know you want to go and do this and you want to go and do something about it, but just don't get yourself killed. Yeah. Mm. When you go over and you start to see some of those things, you think, what is the reality? With each extraction, when I was going into the country, I was trying to time it. You know, I was like, okay, how can I avoid, you know, a military bombardment where they're bombing all night long? How can I get in and get out and try and work my way around these time parameters where, the sun drops and then they start to shell everything, you know, and, and where do I need to be? If that, if I'm going to be trapped there during a point like that, where do I need to go? Where's the most likely place that I can go strategically so that I'm in less danger? Yeah. yeah. And I'm not a military operative, right? So I'm just using my flipping guile and my tact as, as a human being and trying to be adaptable Yeah. while trying to execute this kind of mission first mentality that I learned through all my kind of years doing this Spartan racing. Yeah. So it was, I think it's, it's not something I'd want anyone to have to kind of experience unnecessarily, mm. but at the same time, I'm kind of glad, I'm glad that I did it. I think you know who you are in those moments. Absolutely. You really understand oh, who yeah. you are as an individual if you're willing to take that step. Mm. You one of the big stories that I've read surrounding you is that you brought a child out of Ukraine uh, to stay with you. Um, what is the child's story, and where is where is he now? Um, so, how that came about was I was in a band in Poland with a friend of mine, Andre, who's a Ukrainian guy. 
Yeah. Um, and his father is an officer in the Ukrainian military and has been on the front line since the start. And his mother is an operational individual within the fire service in Ukraine. Right. So again, operational from day one. And what happened was he went over into Ukraine just before the conflict kicked off. It was just he was going back to see family for a few days and then coming back because he was working in Poland in the city of Wrocław, which is the lowest major city. Yeah. And while he was in there, the war broke out and he was trapped. And so he's about 25 years old. So he wasn't allowed to leave because he was above this 18 year old threshold. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had uh, a younger brother, Max, who was nine and I was, I'd gone to the border of Ukraine. This was kind of early days, and I just started evacuating people going in and out. And he called me and he said, listen, I need to get my younger brother out. You know, can you come in and get him? You know, can you come and, and, and try and rescue him? Because we don't have anyone he can be with. Or And he knew that I was in, you know, a lot of the communications for people from Ukraine that weren't kind of closed off was like Facebook messages and all this kind of thing. So he'd seen what, what I was, I was posting this stuff on Facebook, like people go and do something about it, you know, do whatever you can as individuals. And here's yeah. what I'm off to do so that people have an account of where I've been. If you know anything happens to me, at least you know people see what that journey was. Yeah. And so he called me and he said, I need to get my brother out and, and will you come in again? And obviously, you know, that was even more close to home because I was like, okay, I've got one friend dead already and I've got another friend in there. His family were just south of Kiev in a place, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, but Kirkazi or something it's it's called. Mm. So it's just south of Kiev down the, down the border of the river. And so very much like in the thick of it, right, they were getting shelled all the time and this kind of stuff. Jeez. And so when he said, you know, we come in and get – get maxed so i thought you know there wasn't really a second thought in my mind it was like there's a nine-year-old kid mm. and i've got a four-year-old and if it was my sorry i'm choking up a bit <laughs> it's yeah. difficult to sort of kind of relive some of this stuff of course yeah um but i've got a, i've got a small child and i thought you know if it was my nine-year-old i'd want him out mm-hmm. you know there's no there's no need for a child to be in a war zone and it's a disgrace that it happened so I went to find a border that was easier to access um, towards where they were. And uh, so I went up to the north of Poland to find a border that was easier to get through Mm. because the borders I was working at were very intensive. So when you're going in and out, it's, there were so many aid vehicles and all sorts of things. It was such a nightmare, so erratic because there wasn't as much support there. And that's specifically why I went to those lower lower borderlines because there was just not enough military not enough police not enough support from you know other people outside of ukraine yeah Yeah. and so i went to one of the the more modern borders up north so that i could get in easier and um yeah when i got there these polish border guards put me in the back of a vehicle with some other people and said look listen leave your vehicle here go in on foot and then it's going to be easier because there's a lot of people coming out of this one. Whereas the borders I was at, there was a lot of people going in with food and aid. This uh, one, there was a lot of people coming out. So they said, leave your vehicle here with us, with the border guards. And then when you go in and you come back, then it would be easier for you to get out on foot. 
mm-hmm. bullshit, right? Oh. <laughs> but I trusted them yeah, and we yeah. had a go. So they bundled me in the back of this this van and I went over the border and um, I nearly got shot actually because I got out of the van thinking that I could, once I was over the border, I could just walk into Ukraine through that border yeah. because the other one was not very well policed and it was easy to go in and out. Right. And um, there was a bad decision. I was coming out of this kind of dark area and suddenly this guy's got a Kalashnikov on me and is shouting at me and I'm like, whoa, fuck. I'm British, you know, <laughs> I've got a bulletproof vest on terrifying. and everything so yeah. I, I can understand his disturbance. Mm. But he made me go and get back in the vehicle I'd come over in and then I had to go over had to go over in 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 a more legitimate way effectively mm. but i essentially i got to my friend and his brother i managed to get him out of ukraine quite easily um in in the sense that there weren't nobody stopped me or anything right so it was just i was nothing to do with him in a sense of i wasn't connected to his family in any legitimate way mm. so i so it's kind of you know what happened then was when i got over the ukrainian border the Polish border guards then stopped me and said, okay, Thomas, listen, like it's a bit of a gray area and you're obviously doing something good. We can see that you're a genuine bloke, but you're still an adult trafficking a minor across a border and you're seemingly not connected to his family in any way. Right. So we can't let you leave this station because you could just be trafficking kids in theory right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and i hadn't we hadn't really thought about this right in this kind of time of trauma Mm. my friend just said come and get my little brother out and i said no problem i'm gonna kind of get him out and you don't i mean i don't know why but we just didn't even think about it Mm. we just thought i would think of that you wouldn't people want to get out they're going to understand it's going to be fine and it was difficult for max because in that instance or this is when he kind of broke down with me for the first time and that was really hard for me because all he sees is he sees men with guns oh. trying to stop the only man that you trust to keep you safe at this point. Oh, gosh. Um, and he feels trapped. And they put us in this kind of crappy room that looked like, you know, it was all bashed up and the door handle was hanging off and it's kind of like almost like an interrogation room. And it was it was like a family suite for people who were supposed to be waiting there for documents and things right but um it was not a nice place to be and he wasn't eating and he was crying and i said listen i'm not gonna let you go you're not leaving me nothing's gonna happen to you i'm here no one's gonna touch you i don't care what i have to do like don't worry about it just you're with me and i'm gonna keep you safe and it was just kind of trying to console him really Mm. eventually we managed to get to the point where we got his mother on the phone we got some courts involved and there was a, a judge who was up at the time and this kind of stuff and after two or three hours of haggling we managed to get you know this kind of adoption process handled so that he i was given legal authority to look after him right. in oh, poland effectively yeah um but it was a really, it was kind of a challenging experience in that sense. And afterwards, he was thriving. You know, once I got him out of there and we would pass the border and that was it. Mm. 
you know, he was able to just like let himself go. I mean, it wasn't easy for him not having his mother with him and his mm. family, but at the same time, he's, I got him into a routine of like taking him to football, which he'd never been able to do before. We joined oh. a football club and it turns out he's probably quite tasty towards Man United or something like that. He's got some <laughs> bad skills. So like there was something like that that he adopted really early on that I was then able to cultivate to keep him engaged. And then a lot of his time with us was about how do we get him more into football. And, you know, I did, I've got some friends who are scouts at Man United who said this guy's got the goods, right? He's nine years old, but he's got the goods. Oh. Yeah. So let us try and hook you up with some teams maybe in Poland where he could try and take that to a professional level. So it's interesting that we managed to kind of find that and then cultivate it. And maybe you will be a professional footballer one one that day, would be an amazing you know, we don't ending. Know. But it yeah. certainly made the transition process easier for him mm. because he had something to focus his mind on in a way, I think. A distraction, yeah. Yeah. Where is he still with you now? No. So we got to a point where his mother wanted us to take him back. Oh, so right. he was with us for around four or five months. Okay. And... Then we got a call from his mother and she says, I want him back. I can't stand to be without him. You know, I feel it's safer now. Okay. You know, there's right. less bombardments and we know what we're dealing with and mm-hmm. it's managed. And and it, it was a difficult situation for me, right? Because he's not my kid. Mm. So it's not my business in a way yeah. like to say he, you can't have your kid back. I, but at the same time, I just didn't want to let him go. I yeah. wasn't comfortable with the fact that it was as much as she felt safer or whatever. It was still a war zone. And he had become part of my family. He had become like my son. You know, I was protecting him and that mm-hmm. was what it was about. And he was with my son and that they were like brothers yeah. together doing loads of stuff oh. together and this kind of thing. And we'd kind of got this fluidity of life. And I... You know, I didn't have a concept in my mind of when he had to go back. Mm. I just yeah. was happy for it to be indefinite if that was what was needed. How did Max and feel so about going back? it was a challenging back? circumstance to have to let him go back in. How did Max feel about going back? I think he, I think as a child at that age, you don't fully understand mm. yeah, that's everything true. that's going on. And I think he was so, he found it so difficult being away from his mother that I think that's all he could think about in that moment. Wow, okay. He was getting back to his mother. Yeah. And then once he was back in Ukraine, then he started to miss us, and then he started to want to be with us and this kind of thing. I think that's when he was challenged more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he, I think all he could latch on to was the thought of just being with his mum. Yeah, yeah, know, Which is not surprising for any nine-year-old. No, exactly. You just want to feel like... I mean, you can feel there's a certain degree of safety that he can feel with us, mm. but we're still never going to be, we're not still not family, right? There's nothing yeah. like giving your mum a cuddle to feel safe, Absolutely. you know? And so I think that was, that was a massive factor in, in his going back. Mm. And when we took, when we took him, he was like excited, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a depressing time. It was oh. like a really ex- like happy time. But it was really kind of heart-wrenching for me to have to let him go back into a situation that yeah, of course. is still even volatile today. Are they, are they safe now? Are they okay? 
I don't think anyone's safe over there. The bombardments are still happening. I think we've kind of moved on as a as a Western mm. society in a lot of ways, and that's part of the problem. Yes, you that, know, how long it how long is uh, Putin going to be allowed to just continue abusing this country without yeah. people paying attention? You know what I mean? We, if you look at the news now, there's there's a minutiae of what's going on in Ukraine and everything else is just cracking on back to normal about crappy UK government and how yeah, they're yeah. running our country into the ground. But yeah. there's still a war on. Yeah, I, So it's surreal in a way. I wanted to ask you, but that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you about. Like it was the forefront of the news for maybe three or so months. Yeah. And now it's just there's barely Nothing. anything yet. It's still ongoing. I don't fully understand as a person why. Is it why? dropped, yeah. Um, it really frustrates me <laughs> so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's oh, it, it, it is what happens, I guess. It's like they want to do things that are going to be noteworthy, and if we can't find any more atrocities and all this kind of thing, or we can't like bump up the extremity of what's happening over there, then are people going to be interested in watching our channel versus someone else's channel? And that's so what it comes bad. down to ultimately. Yeah. yeah. But here in Poland, it's still prevalent. It's still every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, good. while you guys are working and stuff like that, everyone in the UK is working. I'm trying to run a business. And at the same time, I have to think about provision of nuclear medication in case a bomb goes off over there, right? Because we're first to get the nuclear fallout. Of course. So all of the schools in Poland are stopped with nuclear medication and stuff like this. So that if a bomb is dropped while my son is at school, for example, all the kids have to take this pill. We all have to take a nuclear pill, this kind of thing. Which can kill you in its own right. Mm. right? It's like taking some radiation. but ultimately. It may also save your life. Mm. So it's very real for me at the moment that administering some medication that my son might need if there's a nuclear fallout might kill him. Yeah. You know, just because it's so poisonous. But if there's a nuclear fallout, we'll all die if we don't take that pill. Right. Mm. So it's really real for us over here. It's not like there's, there's no, you can't really hide from it if you're in Europe. If you, um, if you had to predict, how long can you see this carrying on for? Oh, that's a good question. Because mm. when is enough enough? Do you know what I mean? To be honest, I just wish that Putin was dead. Like, yeah, mm. uh, you know, apparently he's got cancer and that kind of thing. And I'm, my concern is it will go on until he is dead. Really? Mm. Oh, my God. And then someone maybe with a slightly less erratic mindset might go, okay, it's kind of a little bit futile yeah hopefully what's the point in this you know mm-hmm. but i you know i i honestly don't know i thought that it would be several months they'd get beaten up and they'd decide it wasn't worth it but ultimately you're dealing with kind of a maniacal narcissist who's trying to claw back the mm-hmm. remains of the ussr that was lost while he was serving as a special forces agent yeah and if that's the last thing he can do before he goes to the grave, then that's what he's going to do. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with someone like that, who hasn't been kept in check over 20 years or however long of using this political system, I don't know how you stop it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. 100%. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know anything about war. I don't understand how he's not been assassinated or something yet. Um, yeah. But I, I've been of the same. He's got view. people that check his food. He's got animals that check his food, all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's really weird. It's really I've, I've heard from, I've got some friends who are in the Russian military and stuff, mm. and he's mostly holed up in a bunker. 
Okay. Wow. Streets are cleared every time he comes out. Oh. He's got a very close-knit group of people around him. And remember, he's had 20 or 30 years or more to orchestrate this system of yeah. control that surrounds him right now and protects him right now. Yeah, I'm sure there are people in his circle who would like to do it. But <laughs> already he's trying to change who those people are that are closest to him so yeah. that he's manipulating the system that, that looks see. after him. So yeah. it's kind of like, how do you get to it? Yeah. On a, if I had a shot, I'd, I'd take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. On a slightly more positive note, you also did a crowdfunder and your aim was £1,000 and you raised about 4300 That's amazing. Yeah, which is yes, obviously right. great. Where, where is that money gone? So we did. What we were actually helping at the same time as with Max. We were helping like out with the local schools because there was also an orphanage from Ukraine. So we we got notified that there was a bus of like fifty orphans coming in, and then the next week there was another hundred orphans coming in. So oh, wow. it was like kids who were from orphanages. This isn't necessarily children who were orphaned by the conflict, mm-hmm. but it was they were trying to evacuate schools. So primarily the money went to support them and to support Max and get him yeah. new clothes and all sorts of stuff, really. There was so much to do at the time. That's good. Um, and I think that's the, 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 the schools are still running, so there are still some of the kids who are still... What they tried to do here was integrate um, the Ukrainian children into a Polish system of schooling, Mm-hmm. Yeah. so we were trying to help with uh, we've got like a school that's kind of 100 200 meters from our from our house for example and they can ser- i think they were servicing 300 400 kids so really the money that we got was kind of a drop in the ocean as to what can we do for them but with books and bags and coats and all this kind of stuff it's, yeah. it goes a long way if you don't have a family when you come over here absolutely um and the school system here to be fair to them, like, did a really good job. I don't know how we would have managed in the UK. I think we're pretty – school system's a bit weak at the moment, as it is. But, <laughs> um, at the same time, I think they did a really good job of kind of integrating them and seeking out what they needed, you know, with kind of computers and things like that. So mm. it was it was quite a systematic process, and I was surprised yeah, if I'm totally honest, but I feel like it was money, money well spent, and you know, even even like you know, spending my own money to do like the petrol, the the petrol for like going in and out of Ukraine, like I can't even like imagine. this kind of thing is you just yeah. yeah, you just this is why I had to eventually come back. I was like, you just you just don't have any money anymore. I was like, I have to yeah. just go and earn money. You know, it's like you can try and do what you can to save people, but ultimately when it comes back to it as a human being, you have to take a step back and say, okay, at what point am I now leading my life into an extreme detriment? Yeah, that's If I've true. got to look after my four-year-old and my wife and these kind of things and I've got to earn money, how long can that go on for? Yeah. And I think if you come back to your earlier question on would you travel from the UK and stuff like that, I think that is the reticence of a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. The money, yeah. The average person in the UK, we're going through a crisis in the UK at the moment. The average person in the UK has got one month's worth of wages in their account as savings. Yeah. And if they're made redundant or something, they're in a pretty sticky situation. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understand in a way that the pre- on a level of preservation, your first thought is like, how am I going to earn money? I've run my own businesses for 18 years. 
So yeah. for me, I had the ability to go, do you know what? I'm taking some time off to go to Ukraine and do what I feel I have to do at this point. Yeah. Mm. And I've got a safety net and this kind of thing. But I think that's that's where a lot of people have been challenged. Yeah, so, yeah. Sure. But I appreciate everyone who donated and things like that, you know. I was kind of hoping to raise more and do more and all this kind of thing. And I wanted to adopt more kids and stuff. And you kind of always get, you know, you try and do what you can. But at the same time, we were trying to build part of our property and stuff like that. And you have a certain amount of room and this kind of thing. So, exactly. but we did, we, I think we did the best we could in a, in, in a situation that we were in, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It's admirable. And your whole story is just incredible. No, it is. Um, I've got one last question for you. Uh, we've got a friend, Sandra. She's been on the podcast before. She lives in Ukraine. Uh, we did an interview with her while she was right in the thick of it. She's still there now. She refused to come out because she didn't want to leave the male members of her family behind. And her boyfriend has also been drafted to fight um so she's still in a very tough sticky situation i just wondered um if you could speak to her if you had any advice or anything what would you say to her right now i think the you know the 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 polish are with you Mm. you know the british military that no one knows about are with you Mm. and there there is a lot of support there there will continue to be support from surrounding countries so know that you're not alone and know that we'll be there yeah um and just try to stay as resilient as you can yeah i've got a lot of friends who are in that similar circumstance ladies who you know work in the in in the rescue industry with dogs and these kind of things Mm. ukrainians top like dog trainers and stuff like that are friends of mine and they're working in hospital in uh, in veterinary hospitals to look after because they weren't willing to leave the country and leave the animals right yeah where everyone else was fleeing yeah so they're bunkered down and in, in circumstances similar to that. And I absolutely admire the Ukrainian resolve when the Ukrainian women who have stayed behind to, to do their duty to their country, as I would expect to do if it was my, my country as well. And I think my wife would if it was if it was Poland, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So just try and stay mentally resilient and know that we're with you and you have support and this will come to an end. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Tom, and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for your time. No worries at all. And for continuing to keep the message going like yeah. when of so course. many have turned a blind eye and have forgotten about the fact that this is still happening yeah. every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite important so to I us. I appreciate you guys. No worries. Thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, thank you. Hello there. I'm Johnny Depp, and you're listening to the Court Case Podcast. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed the conversation today, guys. It was a really interesting one. How did you feel about it? Yeah, no, honestly, really insightful. And I think people that do stuff like that are so incredible. Mm. They need more recognition. But also what needs more recognition, can't get that word out, (laughs) is the fact that obviously the war is still going on. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy that no one's really talking about it anymore. Yeah, and um, it's... One thing that's also really important is the people that are actually living it right now. So 100%. if you haven't listened to Sandra's episode, then we will be putting the link in the show notes for you guys to um, listen to. And so you can hear what the actual experience is like in Ukraine. Yeah. And we just hope that you guys have taken some interesting stuff away from today's episode. So thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another good episode of something so please follow us on instagram yeah we don't know yet but please follow us on instagram at court case podcast and we will see you all next week
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.